0: Take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the letter of Romans. We're going to continue in our quest in the book of Romans. We have moved all the way through 12 full chapters. The good news is there's only 16 of them. And it's been more than a year as we have moved through the book of Romans. I trust that it has been a blessing to you as it has been to me. Today is one of those times where I'm going to ask you to check your shoes. What I mean by that is I hope you all wore steel-toed to steel boots, because we're going to step on your toes a bit this morning. I will tell you that my toes have been stepped on for two weeks. I told you two weeks ago that I was not looking forward to this message, Um, but I will preach the Word of God, because that is my task, that is my job. And so even though I may grow through it painfully, I hope that you grow through it as well. There are several reasons why this message is difficult. One is because culturally, we are a society that hates submission. You bring up the word submission to anybody in society, in our culture today, and they will chafe at the word. Just the word. I don't want to be submissive to anybody. Biblically, in this age, there are three institutions that require submission. The first is the family. The second is the church. The third, the government. The first two are difficult, are they not? Submission in the family, proper roles in the family, culturally have been attacked and abused and maligned. We see culturally broken homes. We see dysfunctional families, even if they are together. The second one is difficult because you have to be vulnerable. You have to trust somebody else. You have to recognize that the church does have authority. And that as such, that you as believers and me as a leader are all submissive to one another. But the third one. The first two require some vulnerability. The third one requires tremendous vulnerability. Because the first two, at least in the Christian world, you tend to be submissive to other Christians. And while that is difficult, and no doubt there is some tremendous heartache that comes from that, and the third one... You are trusting yourself to men who are wicked. Who are evil. And yet you as a Christian have to be vulnerable to them. I will tell you this is something that as independent people. We are going to struggle with. As independent Americans. We are going to struggle with. But we are not going to struggle near as much. As the Romans did when Paul gave this to them. Let me give you some background before we get into the message. You see. The book of Romans was written in about A.D. 57, A.D. 58, somewhere in there. Nero rose to power in A.D. 56. That means Nero has just come into power. The darkest days of being a Christian are facing the Romans at the point that Paul writes. Nero is just starting his reign of terror. And when Paul writes that we are to be submissive to the government, he is writing that to Roman Christians who are facing intense, growing persecution that will soon lead to Christians lighting the gardens on fire of the great gardens in Rome. This persecution, this intensity is building, as Paul writes. As such, can you imagine the Romans receiving this letter? Twelve or eleven chapters of incredible doctrine. They are, yes, we are growing in the Lord. We are ready to grow to maturity in the Lord. Chapter 12, okay, yeah, I'll be a living sacrifice. And then literally in chapter 13, Paul tells them, be submissive to the government that's going to put you on a stake and burn you because you're a Christian. I can't imagine the emotions that they must have been feeling. But I can tell you I struggle with this passage, and I wrestle with this passage. And the idea that we want to focus on today is this. The Lord establishes governmental authority, and he uses it to accomplish his perfect purposes. One of the reasons that I can recognize what the Lord is doing, while I don't understand all of it, is because of the doctrine of the first 11 chapters. If I did not know who God was, this would be an incredibly difficult place for me to be. So Paul doesn't start out, chapter 1, saying, guys, you've got to be subject to the government. No, he starts out by revealing where we are, were, what God has done to bring us to where we are, and where we're going to be, reminds us of His faithfulness through Israel, and then he prepares us to be subject to a government, even a government that may persecute us. The Lord establishes governmental authority and uses it to accomplish His perfect purposes. Let's take this passage before our Lord in prayer this morning. Father, I do thank you and I praise you for the privilege that it is to bow our heads before you today. Lord, as we move into a passage, we recognize that your word is not always something that is popular in us. In fact, if we are not changed by your word, something is wrong with us. So I pray that today we would be changed. We would recognize the balance that your word has in regards to the government authorities over us. And I pray that as Christians, we would be those that the government would trust in, as Paul says, is a possibility. But at the same time, we recognize that we live in a world that is increasingly anti-Christian. And because of that, we recognize we want to stand bold for the firm faithfulness of your word. So cause us to understand that, but also cause us to understand how we must be submissive to the authorities that have been placed over us. Lord, I love you and I thank you for the time that we can spend in your word. I pray that you would give me the words to say that would speak to our hearts, that would reveal the power and the authority of your word. And we give you the glory and the honor for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Looking at the main idea this morning, I want to challenge you by asking you a question. How much do you believe it? How much do you believe it? The question is, the Lord establishes governmental authority and he uses it to accomplish his perfect purposes. Do you believe that? Well, we're about to find out. Because you're going to be tested. And the Lord's going to do the testing. Because if you only partially believe this, you are going to have presumptions that will block the faithful practice of the Word of God. I've had two weeks to prepare. And I still don't know as if I'm prepared to under to undertake all of the tasks of this passage. So if you only partially believe this, you say, Yes, I agree with it in principle, but not in practice then you have presuppositions that are going to cause you to misapply, misunderstand the truth, the literal historical truth of this passage. So we begin this morning in realizing that we are to practice submission because of wrath. There's two types of wrath. There's the physical wrath that will come because of the government, and there is the eternal wrath or the heavenly wrath that will come at the day of the judgment seat of Jesus Christ for those of us who believe. So first, we are to be in submission because of wrath. Second, we must understand the purpose of government. In order to understand the balance, and there is a balance, we are not to uh, ebb and flow with all the inklings of the government. However, there is a distinct purpose. And that distinct purpose, God has established and given the authority for the government. Third, we are to submit because of conscience sake. Because of conscience sake. You see, there is a, as believers, there is an opportunity for us to demonstrate our faithful moral practice in light of a governmental system that is anything but. It does not matter if your neighbor is cheating on his taxes, it must never be named among the believer. So as we move into this passage, we recognize there's going to be some challenges. We recognize that there's going to be some things that are going to step on our toes. So if you don't have steel toed boots, curl your toes or whatever you want to do. Uh, because we're going to step on them a bit. Romans chapter thirteen, verses one through three says this every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinances of God, and they and they who have opposed Will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause for, of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. We're going to stop there for a moment as we pick a, as we fill in the gaps, the pieces here. You see, first we must understand that we are to be in submission because of wrath. And in order to fully understand this, we must understand that it is not ungodly wrath that we would face if we are in rebellion to the government. It is the authority that has been established by God. It does not matter what governmental system you live under. It does not matter if you live in um, the Soviet communist countries who some are dictators, some are um, more of a democracy. It does not matter if you live in uh, Chavez's Venezuela. It doesn't matter if you live in Ahmadinejad's Iran or our country, Obama's United States. See, the reality is, we must recognize that all authority for government comes from God. Authority is established by God, whether we like it or not. Verse one. We are to be under subjection to the governing powers over us. The reason for this is that we as Christians are in subjection to the Lord. You see, the same principle works. No matter if we're talking about the family, or we're talking about the church, or we're talking about the government, the same principle exists. The reality is that all authority is because of God. And all subjection, all submission to that is because we are submissive to the Lord. So when Daniel disobeyed the command, the edict of Nebuchadnezzar, and he refused to bow, was he obeying the Lord? Absolutely. But you recognize that he was also obeying the governmental authorities. Because he said, I'm going to to follow the Lord, but I'm going to willfully suffer the consequences of doing so. You see, there is a balance here in Scripture. And we're going to see this balance throughout. But we must recognize that all authority has been established by God. If we believe the central idea this morning, we understand that no matter the evil nature of government, God is using sinful men to accomplish His perfect purposes. That's the other reality I want to sink in. God is using sinful men to accomplish His perfect purposes. The reality is that you and I must understand that God is not changed because some person comes to President of the United States. God has not changed because some uh, dictator somewhere is killing thousands of people. We recognize that God is using even those sinful men to accomplish His perfect purposes. Every ruler from every period of history has been placed in their positions by the Lord. This is difficult to comprehend in the rationale of the finite human mind. Because we we can't grasp that. To consider the terrible atrocities conducted by evil men with tremendous power as being uh, placed, used, and removed by God in accordance with His will frustrates our limited scope. We are frustrated by that. How could God allow this to happen? And even as believers, we struggle with this. But we must recognize that you and I are finite. We see this moment in history. We can't even see Tomorrow. And yet we dare tell an omniscient God that he didn't know better. That the authorities that are in existence shouldn't be there. No. We must recognize that we are finite. In our limited scope we can have tremendous trust in our infinite God. And this is where we must understand God's eternal plan. That it is being accomplished perfectly, despite evil men. Including... (laughs) And unfortunately, ourselves. You see, God's plan will be finished perfectly. When Israel disobeyed God, was God's plans frustrated? No. When Hitler came on the scene and committed terrible atrocities against Israel, was God's plan frustrated? No. When they hung Christ on the cross, was God's plans frustrated? No, but you should be getting a picture by now. God uses even those things, and especially those things, to ascribe to himself glory, which is only his. God's perfect plan will be accomplished. So we recognize that we are uh, under submission to God, and we exercise that in submission to our government, because authority exists or is established by God. Second is that there is judgment for opposition. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, "...therefore whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinances of God." And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So strong is Paul in this point that he reminds us that failure to be subject to government is failure to be subject to God. Now as Christians, I want a show of hands, how many of you want to be failures in being subject to God? No, we don't, do we? And yet we're willful and not submissive to our government. In fact, we have been taught that from an early age, many of us. That we should resist the government at any stretch. And there's a balance in here, no doubt, which we will see in a moment. But we must recognize that submission to the government is submission to our Lord. So the consequences of such action is condemnation in both cases, or in some cases it is both earthly and at the judgment seat of Christ. In some cases it is just at the judgment seat of Christ. You may never get caught in your rebellion to the government. They may never hold you accountable to that. But the word of God is pretty clear so far. Failure to be subject to the government over us is failure to be subject to the Lord who placed that government in power over us. Not a pretty picture so far. I told you I was going to step it on your toes. Verse 3. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior but for e- or, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. You see, we must understand that there are some results of submission, some benefits of submission, both earthly and eternally. And this is kind of an interesting verse, because it is one that many have sought to read revolution into. They say, well, if the government is not doing good, then that gives me a reason to exercise revolution, that I can go out and fight for my right. But that puts us in kind of a difficult position, does it not, in our world today? How many of us, and I don't need a show of hands, how many of us believe the government is doing right in every way? Let me remind you of the audience. Paul's day. Paul's audience, his recipients, were about to face the most intense persecution to come in the early church. They were about to face the darkest days of persecution. And Paul tells them, the government is for good. Did they have an excuse to say, "Uh uh-uh, the government is not good. I don't know if you've been on the streets lately, but they're rounding up Christians and they're hauling them off. You see, we cannot pull this out of context. We have to leave it in its historical context as well as its grammatical context. As a general rule, As a Christian, you are to pay your taxes, you are to live upright lives, and for the most part, the government will respond in kind. However, Paul is speaking to a group that has been persecuted for their faith, cast out because of their stand of Christ. And we must recognize that as Nero rose to power, and persecution is beginning to increase, that there had to be some questions. So, what does Paul mean? What does he mean when he says this in verse 3? When he says, For rulers are not a cause of fear, and yet the believers in the churches in Rome are fearful for their lives. When they're doing nothing but good, and Paul says, But they're to persecute, or they're to prosecute evil. It says, do you not want to have fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. You see, again, we must understand Paul's scope. Turn back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I asked you if you believed our central idea this morning. What about verse 28? Do you believe it? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who are called according call those who love God to those who are called according to his purposes. This is a promise to Gentile believers. And if you remember when we moved through this passage, this does not mean that God wants you to have a car, three cars, a three car garage, a house on a hill, he doesn't want you to have a million dollar bank account. You might have those things, praise God, but that's not what it's saying. What he's saying is, for those that know God, God causes all things to work together eternally good for them. Remember this word for good is a point in the future, a point to come, not in the present. And so for the believers in Rome who were reading chapter 13 and they recognize that persecution is coming, they also recognize that Paul is reminding them that there is something significant being stated. And they may not be able to see the whole grasp of it. In fact, why did Nero and so many other Roman emperors persecute the Christians? Why did the Judaizers persecute the Christians? Why did they all send them away, to try to get rid of them, try to kill them? I was watching one of the football games on um, Thanksgiving. And one of the receivers had. And the commentators were talking, and one of the receivers had said, they're They're always double-teaming me. He was complaining to his father. They're always double-teaming me. You know why? Because they're respecting you. You're good. They don't want you to catch the ball on them. Why is it that Nero persecuted the Christians? Why is it that the Judaizers persecuted the Christians? Notice the end of verse 3 of chapter 13. It says, do what is good and you will have praise from them, from the same. Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Is it possible that persecution is praise? Absolutely. Absolutely. Persecution is praise. Now, how many of you like the idea of persecution being praise? (laughs) See, the reality is that is not a principle we like. But if we are living Christ-like lives, the Christian fears nothing from men when they have done well. The Christian fears nothing from men when they have led Christ-like lives. That is why Daniel, after hearing the edict, and Daniel is very clear, he goes, I heard it, and he writes it for us, I heard the edict. And then I went and knelt at the window, opened it up as I do every day, and I prayed to my God. You know why? He had nothing to fear from men. Because he had done well in submission to the Lord. He had no reason, the government had no reason to exercise authority that was not their own. So the Christian fears nothing from men when they have done well, even if the praise they receive is persecution. Even if it's persecution. Believer, you and I must be aware that persecution has come, it is growing. It is not as the Romans faced yet. But we are seeing it take place. We live in an evil world. Does that give us authority to rebel against our government? No. It does not. Until it violates the principles of the word of God. And we will get there in a moment. But let's continue on. What is the purpose of the government? Purpose of the government, verse 4, is this. For it is a minister of God to you for good but if you do what is evil be afraid for it does not bear the sword for nothing for it is a minister of God an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil you see the first truth that we find is that the government establishes order paul uses an interesting word twice in this verse he uses the word minister and this is dekanos this is the same word that we get our word deacon from In fact, he uses the same word in the same tense, in the same mood, later on in chapter 16 in referring to people who are ministering to him, to Paul. So Paul is using this same word. He is saying that the government is a minister, is a servant of you for your good. As a believer, how often do you feel that way when you're sending your tax check in? Yep, they're a minister of mine. I don't think so. That's a hard thing, is it not? And yet Paul says that they are a minister. They were established they are to establish order as one of their tasks. The government is a servant of the Lord that he uses to maintain order. When Egypt revolted uh, several months ago and they removed their leader, what reigned until the army took over? Anarchy. What established order? When the army came in and established a government. So part of governmental authority is to establish order. Anarchy reveals the complete depravity of humanity. It is disgusting. It is despicable. It is complete chaos. While the government is often ruled by evil leaders, those who do evil are held accountable to various extent. And it may not be to our satisfaction, but order is prevalent. You may not like that that Murderer got off with such a light sentence. You may not like the fact that that thief got off with such a light sentence, but the reality is that there is still fear of the jail time. It may not be to our extent, but it is still establishing order. And this is what Paul has in mind when he urges a fear when evil is committed. There will be consequences, even by evil men, when you commit evil things. And we are reminded that the government does not carry the sword for nothing. What an incredible statement. And this reminds us clear back to Genesis, when, chapter 9, when God establishes corporal punishment for killing another human. And as time goes on, that is given uh, to the governmental authorities. And it has never been revoked. It has never been revoked. We are reminded that the government does not carry the sword for nothing. Their job, their task, their authority is to maintain order even though they may be evil men. And that builds into the next one, and that is to punish that evil. This uh, use of the sword brings Paul to the second way in which the government and those serving in the government are ministers. And again, he uses the word decanos, deacons. It is the job of the government to provide punishment to those who are committing evil. Even in a purely secular environment, lawlessness does not work. It cannot be maintained. It does not and cannot provide anything beneficial. When an ungodly government punishes wrongdoers, they are ministers of God's divine justice. And that is their task. They are to maintain order. They are to punish evil. Capital punishment is described by the Lord in Genesis 9 still exists. It has not been withdrawn. And the Lord uses government to fulfill this responsibility. It is not your right to go out and execute His divine justice, that is not your responsibility. God has established the authorities, the governmental authorities, to do so. But then let's move on to our final point this morning. Submission because of conscience. Verse 5. Actually, let's read verses 5 through 7 so we get the idea of the context here. The Scripture says, Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due to them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. The first one is conscience. Not only is subjection to the government necessary to avoid wrath, both earthly and heavenly, at the judgment seat of Christ, it is necessary due to our conscience. Conscience. The United States government maintains a conscience fund. Did you know that? And it is established for people who want to pay their debts to the government and yet remain anonymous. So in other words, they've cheated the government. They've gotten guilty about it, and they want to um, make amends. Some city governments have a similar fund to do so. I read about a city that had investigated some tax frauds, and they announced that several citizens were going to be indicted. And that was their announcement. Several citizens are going to be indicted. That's all they said. They did not release names of the culprits. They did not release who they were investigating at all. That week, a number of people visited City Hall to straighten out their taxes. Most of them were not on that list. When conscience begins to work, we cannot live with ourselves until we have made things right. And this is especially true in the life of the believer. Because the Spirit will not let you go. Because rulers are servants of God. These servants are specifically appointed to the task of governing. And because they've been appointed by God, they deserve a just shake from the believers. Paul uses a different word. He could have used dekanos here for servants. And that would have fit the context. It would have fit what he was saying. He didn't. He used another word for servants. And this word means a special servant. A specially appointed servant. You see, the reality is, these servants are specifically and specially appointed for the task of governing. And therefore, they are servants of God. Even though they are evil men, in the most part. Not all, but most are evil men. Even though they have been placed there... By God, as evil men, they are specifically designated as servants of God. Doesn't mean they're saved. Paul is not saying that at all. Paul is saying that God is using them to accomplish His perfect purposes. And as such, because you're in subjection to God, you're in subjection to them. On all levels. From the city on up. At all levels. So as Christians, we begin to recognize we have a responsibility to do things because of our conscience. And that brings us to a God-given responsibility, which we've already addressed to a certain point. Verse 6 says this, And he who observed, oops, wrong chapter. For because of this you also pay taxes for rulers or servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Paul begins to wrap up his instruction with some practical insights to avoid the crushing guilt of conscience. He says, pay the taxes that are due. Pay the taxes that are due. As Christians, we pay what we owe. Now, it should never be named among the church or its members that tax tax evasion exists. Now, in our country, we have tremendous freedom. We have tremendous write-offs. Paul is not speaking to those things, as those are not technically ta- taxes that we owe. But if we owe those taxes, then we pay them. We pay them without... without trying to evade in any way. If you can submit your tax return in good conscience, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you can't, don't submit it. If your conscience is bothering you, don't submit it. As Christians, we pay what we owe. There should never, ever, ever be a Christian or a church that is listed as a tax evader difficult it's hard but it should not be named among us and finally we do that because it's a god-given responsibility and finally we have faithful submission faithful submission verse 7 for not one of again wrong chapter render to all what is due them tax to whom taxes due custom to whom custom fear to whom fear honor to whom honor you see we are to faithfully submit it's not because they are righteous men it is not because we agree with their practices or their politics it is because they've been placed there by the lord paul ends with four clear statements nearly repeating the words of christ in the first one render the tax that is due christ said render under caesar what is caesar's paul says pay the tax that is due the word custom would be equivalent to our income tax pay that paul says pay your income tax pay your sales tax Fear those who should be feared, and honor those who should be honored. Those are very four very clear statements. doesn't give us much gray area. It's very black and white, as Paul has been all throughout. As we get set to draw this to a conclusion, I want to address the nagging issue. Human government is run by evil men who want nothing to do with the purposes of God. And they will seek to conform the Christian to them. So, how does the Christian respond? Well, Peter gives us that example. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. We don't have time for all the context, so I want you to take it home and look at the context. This is uh, Paul, or Peter, as he is speaking. Acts chapter 5, verse 29 says, But Peter and the apostles answered. We must obey God rather than men. You see, here is the balance. Because often we can go to one extreme or the other. We can read Acts chapter 5, and we don't get Romans chapter 13. Or we can read Romans chapter 13, and we become lame duck Christians. We just hang around, whatever the government wants. Okay, they want abortion, that's fine, whatever. They want homosexual marriage, that's fine, whatever. We don't, We can do that, Or we can follow the balance of scripture. Many trust in government to save them. That is absolutely wrong. Many believe that the church can provide some social means to salvation. That is absolutely wrong. Many others refuse to obey the government at any point. And that too is absolutely wrong. So where's the balance? How do we strike the balance? The balance, Ryrie says, is believers are to obey the government, unless to do so, as here in Acts chapter 5, would be to disobey God. If disobedience is required, then one must prepare to suffer the consequences. Here's what he was saying. Are you ready to be a martyr? Are you ready to face persecution? Peter was, when he says, I must obey God rather than men. Daniel was when he says, I'm going to go pray anyway. I don't care what you say. I'm a servant in this government. I'm second highest. And yet you make an edict like that, I'm still going to obey God rather than men. And so he obeys God, but you and I must tread very, very carefully. Do not believe for a moment that the issue that you feel is worth dying on the hill for That God does not mention is really worth dying on the hill for. That's a difficult thing. When you consider your personal property, your personal health, your personal choices, to some extent, all of those vulnerably being given to the government in submission to God. That's a difficult thing. Does this mean that we cannot stand up, speak out on matters that to do them would cause us to be disobedient to the Lord? Absolutely not. We should. I applaud those companies that do so. I applaud those Christians that do so. However, you and I must recognize that many times we are willing to die for things that are not biblical. We are willing to surrender those things that are not according to the things of God. And Paul limits it. In all things be subject to the government except for these things. If they disobey God, in other words, they are forcing abortion or they are forcing homosexual marriage to take place in every case that you are not free to do any other. We may not like it, and I do not like it. We may not like the fact that homosexual homosexual marriage exists. We may not like the fact that abortion exists, but until the government demands it, to take place in every situation, we cannot, we cannot be in rebellion against the government. That's a hard thing. It's an extremely hard thing. The moment they do, you better stand up. I expect every one of us in here to do so. The moment they tell us that we cannot worship the true God, we better all stand up and say, I don't care what you're going to do to me, but I'm going to worship my God. You see, we saw this practice by believers in China and in the, U- the old USSR. And when they stood for the things of the word of God, the church grew. It exploded. And eventually it took over the government. Or at least brought it to its knees. It's doing so in China right now. Yet, we must be recognized to, or we must be prepared to suffer the consequences. If you disobey the government for the things of the Lord, be prepared to suffer the consequences. And then remember Romans chapter 8 verse 28. He works together for good. All thanks to those who love him or are called according to his purposes. There are obvious issues which the Christian must never retreat from. We must never retreat from. On the issue of moral, social, ethical, and biblical, the Christian should stand firm at whatever the cost. Yet as far as the other issues, no matter what the level of depravity our government is run by, we must understand that their authority to rule is God-given to accomplish his purposes, which in the scope of all eternity are perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And they are working out for the good all thanks to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Do you believe that? Then you may not want to write that tax bill. You may not want to write that what check for whatever, that fee, that f- whatever it happens to be. But as a Christian, you will do so, because you're in submission to God, because you recognize that he's working together all things for your good, eternally speaking. As we begin to close in a word of prayer, we have the special privilege today to thank our Lord, to observe the table that is before me. You see, as we think about our response as Christians, we must recognize that this is only available, we only have these assurities because of what was done on the cross. There may be an opportunity for you to say, you know what, I do have a little bit of guilty conscience in this way. It's time to confess those things, that we can come before this table in a pure manner. So as I prepare for that, I'm going to ask, as I close this portion of our service in prayer, that the men who are going to help partake or help hand out the table before me, if they would come forward, and as we prepare to partake in that, let's pray. Father, I do thank you and I praise you. For your word. I thank you for the power and the truthfulness of it. I pray that you would cause us to grow, to understand, to apply the principles that are found here in this passage. Lord, I'm, I will confess. I do not like many of them. I am independent. I do not want to be in submission. It is difficult to be in submission to the church authorities. It is difficult to be in submission to the family authorities. It is exceptionally difficult to be in submission to the governmental authorities. And I pray, and I confess that before you, and I pray that my limitations would not limit us as a group, that your spirit would undertake for us, that we would understand this passage, and that we would apply it faithfully in every way. Lord, we love you, we thank you for the table that is before us as we get set to partake. I pray that you would uh, cause us to come before this table on a pure heart, that there would be no divisions among us, that your name would be glorified in it, and in Your name would be exalted among us. Lord, we love You and thank You for it. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen.